Coming up next on the Passion Struck Podcast. What is going to help them be sustaining in this ever-changing world where this is the norm now? Jobs are going to go away and new jobs are going to spin up with the blink of an eye. What's going to help them sustain are the soft skills, are the EI skills and capabilities, their ability to lead with empathy, their ability to maneuver relationships, their ability to inspire excellence among their organizations and their peers and their the people they lead, the ability that they have to connect on a level that brings out the best in someone so that they stay, so that they're engaged, so that they contribute the best of themselves. That's what's going to sustain. Welcome to Passion Struck. Hi, I'm your host, John R. Miles, and on the show, we decipher the secrets, tips, and guidance of the world's most inspiring people and turn their wisdom into practical advice for you and those around you. Our mission is to help you unlock the power of intentionality so that you can become the best version of yourself. If you're new to the show, I offer advice and answer listener questions on Fridays. We have long form interviews the rest of the week with guests ranging from astronauts to authors, CEOs, creators, innovators, scientists, military leaders, visionaries, and athletes. Now, let's go out there and become Passion Struck. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 143 of Passion Struck, one of the top ranked health and fitness podcasts in the world. Thank you to each and every one of you who comes back weekly to listen and learn how to live better, be better, and impact the world. In case you missed my interviews from last week, we had two incredible ones, including featuring Admiral James Stavridis and the launch of his new book, To Risk It All. We also covered his other books, 2034 and Sailing True North, and so much more in that great episode. We also had on former strike fighter pilot, Egan Gill, who survived the fastest ejection in naval history. And we talk about that harrowing experience, his long recovery, and what his life is like now. And in case you've missed my solo episodes over the past couple of weeks, I've been focusing on how our brain, our beliefs, and our mind influence our reality please go and check those all out. I also wanted to thank the audience for your continued positive support. We just crossed 5,800 five-star reviews in the United States alone. And globally, we have over 8,000 of them now on iTunes. And none of that would be possible without your support. Those ratings and you forwarding these episodes to your friends and family member are helping us so much to grow this global passion struck movement and helping people everywhere learn how to be more intentional about their lives. Now, let's talk about today's guest. Trisha Manning is an author, certified coach, and former global business leader. Having reached the C-suite as only one of two female executives at the round table. After facing an unexpected health crisis in 2016, Trisha made the difficult decision to end her 25-year corporate career, but wasn't ready to stop helping others. With a passion to grow strong leaders and fight for gender diversity in the boardroom, she began her own coaching practice and wrote the book, Lead with Heart, and leave a lasting legacy. In her interview, we discuss how she embarked on her 25-year career, moving up the ranks and eventually becoming a C-level within the same company. What inspired her to stay for that long within that company and the aspects of being part 
of a high growth startup company that she loves so much, what it was like to help the company go through tremendous expansion, why having a heart-led culture is so important to company transformation, the health scare that caused her to look at her life in completely different ways, and how she learned how to redefine success for herself, and you can too, through positive change, why the opportunity now is to stop compartmentalizing, to stop leaving parts of you at the office door and practice showing up as your whole self as that is the path to more fulfillment. Lastly, we discuss her book, Lead with Heart and Leave a Legacy, as well as so much more. Thank you for choosing Passion Struck and choosing me to be your host and guide on your journey to creating an intentional life. Now, let that journey begin. so excited today to have my friend Trisha Manning on the Passion Start podcast. Welcome, Trisha, to the show. Oh, thank you, John. I'm excited to be here. I love all guests, but I especially love guests who I've known for a while and who are my friends. It's going to be a great time. Yes, it is. We have so much to talk about, and we're going to get to, obviously, what you're doing today and that amazing book you have right behind you. But you are one of the few senior executives I know who actually started and kind of ended their career at the same company. So coming out of Florida State, I know you spent a little bit of time at Eckerd. What drove you to go to Catalina Marketing? And maybe oh. if the listener isn't aware, maybe you can tell them what Catalina does. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's an, it's an interesting story, actually, about how I ended up with Catalina. So Catalina is a digital marketing company. When I started, it was still a startup, right? So the headquarters were in California, and the founders were still involved. And at the time, they were building one of the world's biggest databases of consumer purchase history. And it was this novel idea and they were engaged with retailers and manufacturers and technology element to it, a data element to it. But really they considered themselves at the onset as a marketing company. They were issuing promotions in the retail space. I was fresh out of college. I had just graduated and I'll date myself a little bit because um, it was back in the day when you actually applied for jobs through the newspaper. <laughs> and my I had graduated, I had come home and my mom was looking through the paper and she said, hey, this job sounds really great. What do you think? And I read it and the ad was, would you like to relocate to sunny California for the summer? And I was like, heck yeah, sign me up. <laughs> so I applied through the newspaper. Uh, they interviewed me here in Florida and then uh, had me go out, spend the first six months or so learning the business in California. And then I helped the company make the move, their headquarters uh, moving to Florida. I started in that position as a data entry clerk, literally entering UPC data into their database. From there, I worked my way up. So I was with the company overall 25 years, starting in data entry. And, and when I left, I was in an executive C-level executive position. I have a lot of people ask, right? 
why did you stay so long? Because it is it is rare these days to see somebody that spends their whole career, their whole corporate career at one company. For me, it clearly was the people. It was the opportunity to really see that growth, to work with the founders. I, I had the opportunity to grow my leadership skills. I viewed myself as a culture carrier over the years because I had that first early experience. That was kind of my trajectory and my experience with a startup growing with that organization all the way to multi-million dollar firm. Yeah. So I always find it interesting, the stories behind how companies get their names. When I got to meet the founders of Catalina, it was interesting to find out that uh, they had been out on a boat and kind of got shipwrecked off, mm-hmm. off of Catalina, which is where they were this whole idea. That's how the company got its name, interestingly yes. enough. Yeah, so it's a really cool story, very engaging, and it, and it spoke to the culture, I think, a little bit, right? While you were there, long before I arrived, Catalina went through this just explosive growth stage, probably one of the fastest growing startups uh, in the world for a while. It must have been such an exciting time to be there. If you're a person who's never been in a high growth company like that, what was it like being inside of it? A lot of the things we talked about at the time, so definitely Catalina in that high growth era considered themselves very entrepreneurial. That was definitely feeling that you had. It was very much work hard, play hard. There were great things about the culture that were just fun. You were working really hard. We wore a lot of hats and um, you know we put in a lot of hours. You didn't feel like you were in the grind that was grinding you down, right? It was fun. And we had things like Caribbean days, right? So we'd have a week of just where the CEO would, would host different events and and um, we had some drinking going on during the day, <laughs> you know, it's really, it, you know, lightened it up a little bit and it's just fun. The culture was fun. And the other thing um, that really struck me. And so as I had a long career there and then I left, I had a lot of time to reflect. One of the things that really struck me about the culture, not just work hard, play hard, but it was a very connected family feeling. And in the very early days when we had this explosive growth, the founders were asking a lot of their people to really help reach those milestone goals. We would go to a holiday event and and our, our CEO would put up a chart that would show the sales growth trajectory along with the the number of babies that our employee population had had in that given year. (laughs) It was fun to kind of see, but his point was like, one, I see you. I know that you're, you know, your family is also supporting the great things about this company, but his funny spin on it was keep having babies because you need to work so that you could support those babies and let's keep the growth of the company going. But it was those kind of those kind of opportunities to weave in the family and, and the extended, the people that extended beyond the employees that really helped to kind of make up the success of the organization that really struck me about the company early on. And I joined at a time when the company was again, trying to reinvent itself. We were in between CEOs when I first got there. In fact, one of the founders, George had stepped in uh, at 
while, while I was there at first, but the company had again done a masterful job of extending the network and growing it, especially throughout Europe and also in the United States to a point that the network component, and in Catalina's case, this would be, if the listener is not familiar with it, um, kind of pharmacy brands, mass retailers like Target, and then 70% of all grocery, uh, the only exception really being uh, Walmart, really had this scale that um, we knew pretty much over a two, three-year period, the buying habits of about 70% of the shopping trips that consumers were making. So when you think about that, the amount of data and the power of that data was really immense. However, at, at the time I joined there was a small company at the time, coupons.com, who had kind of come out of nowhere and now had this digital disrupting technology. When I got there, it, it was interesting because we were trying to figure out how do you pivot this company and all its legacy processes. You played a very heavy role in the operations side, which was driving the majority of the company. But how do you take that? How do you streamline it, scale it, and change directions? For you, at that point of time, what was it like having been in the company that long and now seeing this huge pivot point, which could actually threaten the existence of the company? Mm -hmm. That was a time of true transformation, you know, for an organization. And what's interesting about that word transformation, there are so many companies now going through transformation, you know, this past year having to transform. And so it is something that many organizations face, but I don't know that as leaders, we really, it, when you're in it, I don't know that we know the true magnitude of what that means until you are in it, until you go through it. Being in it, and I mentioned myself, or I described myself as culture carrier. I saw myself that way. I wasn't just in the throes of the op- the bowels of the operations trying to tra- help transform this organization, but I was also very in tune and very worried and also very excited about the opportunity to really engage the people in that transformation. Like, how do we really make this work? Big moment in that process and in that learning for me was when we had maybe had the second swing at the <laughs> at the ball, right? Because that process of transformation started early on. But as you know, that was, we were seven years in and still trying to transform, right? It, right. it took a, a lot of turns at trying to make this happen. I remember just that moment. I'm a member of the executive team. I'm sitting around the table with my peers and we had Bain Consulting come in and it was pro- the second time we had spent many, many millions of dollars to have a consulting firm come in and tell us what we were doing wrong. And I'll never forget because it was the first time we had a consultant sit in a room with this executive team and say, guys, what you're trying to do, only five to 8% of companies will ever succeed. It's not because of the technology, or it's not because of the strategy. It is truly because you aren't finding a way to go deep in the organization, to engage the hearts and minds of the people, to be able to make the shift. And that was really an awakening for me. And it became about the ability of the leadership to 
engage all the way down to the front line and get everybody on board to actually make that transformation and that shift. And there were, so there were a lot of learnings for me around that. I would tell you that was really hard work. In my lifetime at Catalina, it, we weren't successful. When I left the organization 11 months later, they filed bankruptcy. So there's something to really be said about the people being your biggest asset and your biggest enabler for transformation and for change. No, I think it's a great point. And I just want to spend a little bit more time on it because whether you're a startup, whether you're a nonprofit, whether you're a for-profit corporation, whether you're a government agency, it ultimately all comes down to the people. And the reason so many people in the workforce right now are disengaged is I think you hit on a huge part of it. And we're going to cover this as a major part of this podcast today is you've got to get people at their heart if you want to inspire change. I saw this at Catalina and I'm going to get to that, but I saw it uh, prior to Catalina when I was at Dell. I walked in to a very similar situation where Dell had historically been a hardware company and was trying to pivot into a services, but not just services like around the hardware, but doing software implementations, other things, and then becoming a software company. And the biggest struggles that I saw were that we were trying to do this change, but it was being forced upon the organization instead of getting many of these long-term executives and middle managers who had been there a while who only knew the culture that existed, who only knew the company that existed, bought into really what this transformation meant. As we're trying to change systems and make all this change, we ran into incredible resistance because people are scared and they, they get retrenched. While I was there, I think we did 15 or 16 acquisitions. And what I learned about the acquisitions was the same thing about trying to turn the company around was that all these people want to say, we're going to have these synergy cost savings. We're going to have this great technology. And ultimately it's not about any of those things. Ultimately it comes down to the cultures. And if the cultures are in conflict with each other, this acquisition is going to be very difficult to implement. And so when I arrived at Catalina, at that time we had a CEO that we both know who had a great, I think, visionary aspect of him from coming from the CPG world, being an innovator of new products. As I sat there being in charge of technology, he kept telling me that technology was going to change the whole direction of the company. And I would have huge debates with him. And your boss at the time, Debbie Booth, was in the room. And we were both trying to impress. It's not at all about the technology and it's not as much about the process change. It's about so much of this workforce. You had so many smart people there, so many who had been part of creating literally hundreds of patents, but unless you got them completely bought into what we were trying to accomplish and they understood why we were going in that direction, you could spend $100 million on technology. It wasn't going to change a darn thing. I want to pack that a little bit because now the work that you're doing, and then we'll come back to why you got into this work, is all around how do you create heart leadership or a heart 
culture in companies. Can you kind of talk about, was it that Catalina influence that set you on this path or was there some other influence that got you involved? Mm-hmm. I lived what you're talking about too, right? And we, we talked about the importance of, of the people and the alignment and the ability to change lead. And I am so fortunate for that experience because I did learn a lot. I saw a lot observed a lot and it was it did become very much a passion of mine to follow to follow that in the sense of how do we help teams be more effective teams be more cohesive to remove the dysfunction at the top <laughs> so that we can come together to to harness the biggest asset of the organization which is the people And how do you do that? Well, you have to connect. You have to inspire excellence. You have to motivate and understand um, what the personal motivations are of the organization. The work um, that I do now in in my coaching and consulting business, a a large part of my work is just that. It's working with teams, teams becoming more cohesive, remove the dysfunction, so that they can then unleash the power of their people. This work around team cohesion and team effectiveness has actually exploded the last couple years, especially I've seen in my business. And I'm gonna attribute that to the fact that we are more disconnected. So we're working differently now because of COVID, right? We've got hybrid work, we've got remote work. We have all these things that have put Um, have made connection and made that engagement of people even harder. CEOs have spent a ton more time, elbows deep in their organizations the last two years dealing with interpersonal issues that they really just don't have time. They shouldn't be dealing with, but it's been a result of their their teams, their leaders not being um, real strong as a cohesive unit. And so now you you add the the flux and the chaos and all the things that have happened the last two years and there's cracks, right? And so CEOs have had to fill those cracks. And so they've come to appreciate how important I think that, that cohesive leadership teams are and then have come to appreciate the work to be done, which is then those leadership teams finding ways to go deep and connect with their people so that the organization can move in the, in the right direction. And there's a lot of strategies for that, um, but that's a lot of work that I'm, I'm doing as a result of the last couple of years. We'll be right back to my interview with Trisha Manning. Oprah Winfrey, she's living, breathing proof of the power of passion running away from home at age 13, starting a media empire, and now worth $2.6 billion. All to say that when she makes a big move, you can learn a lot by watching. And after she made $60 million in one fell swoop, I did some research on how, and my eyes were opened to a market out there worth $1.7 billion. That, for the first time, we all can be part of. No Oprah-level billions needed. How? There's a startup that's blowing the whole thing wide open called Masterworks. Powered by passion, like all good startups are, and eager to change the world. To learn more, go to masterworks.io and use promo code PASSION. That's masterworks.io, promo code PASSION. 
See important regulation A disclosures at masterworks.io slash CD. That's masterworks.io promo code passion. And we know all these promo codes can be so difficult to remember. So we put them in one convenient place on passionstruck.com slash deals. Thank you so much for supporting the sponsors who support this show and make it free for our listeners everywhere. Now, back to my interview with Trisha Manning. Earlier in my career, when I was at Lowe's, I walked into a function within the company that out of 350,000 employees had the lowest engagement scores in the company. I walked in, I I was like, what am I going to do about this? And I thought, well, it can only go up, but going up isn't the metric. It's like, how do we completely change the culture here? As I started to go around, I remember I'd get up because it was a 24 by seven operation and we had call centers and everything else. I'd get up at two o'clock in the morning just to be able to get on a shift and spend a few hours talking to the employees. As I did that and tried to talk to as many people as I could, what was shocking to me is they said, all the time we've ever been here, you're the first person who's ever asked us our opinion or what we think is broken. And what I found was the biggest disconnect was that none of them truly understood how the jobs that they were doing impacted the company and the outcome of the company. And when you were able to translate the strategy of Lowe's and to break it down so that they could see that their job, being a customer care person, talking to a customer was extremely important because you only have so many interactions with a customer. You can do it online, you can do it in the store, or you can do it via chat or on the phone. And if you don't treat that moment with the customer as like the most important aspect of what you're doing, it has a tremendous negative impact on a company. Just by doing that, getting more people involved, giving them more accountability for improving the organization and improving our group and putting people at all levels of the organization on different um, tiger teams. We made a, a massive change in just under two years. So I hear exactly what you're trying to do, but it's not an easy process because what it requires the leader to do is to be very vulnerable and realize you're coming into something that you have to completely listen and not just go in there trying to judge or make change before you understand why things have transpired over decades into what they have become. Does that make sense and resonate to you? Oh yeah, for sure. And there are models. So when, when you get to it, you mentioned it in terms of a process, it, it is a process, a journey, right? And there are models that you can apply to really move executive teams in the direction of cohesion, which ultimately then provides them the skills so that they can do what's necessary for the organization. There's a book, Patrick Lencioni has a model in a book that's a really great one, The Advantage, right? It talks a lot about how you leverage people and you leverage the leadership team to create an advantage. It completely resonates their models. When you're talking also about the individual leaders around the table. So, right, team cohesion is critically important. It can be a differentiator. It can be an advantage. 
But what, what we're also talking about is people. Like these leaders sitting around the table are people, whole, beautiful, <laughs> wonderful people, right? And what I talk a little bit about in my book around leading with heart, this is where you really get into understanding better the leader and having the leader show up with more intentionality so that they on their own can make the right decisions and the right moves with their teams going forward. And to your point, like you mentioned, listening, like actually being open. I have a lot of thoughts on that. And the way I talk to leaders is, look, What's important are are two things, how you show up every day as a leader, like really be thinking about how you show up. Are you, are you showing up in service of your team? Are you showing up ready to be an active listener? Are you showing up ready to understand the person across the table and what motivates them? So how you show up as a leader is critically important and you need to really define that for yourself so that you can be in your authentic state every day when you come in. And then the second piece is how you engage, you know, how you then engage your team. So, you know, and that is with empathy as a champion in the spirit of connecting their motivations. And so those are two important pieces in the equation of being, in my mind, an intentional, heartfelt, successful leader, how you show up and how you engage your team. I think those were always hallmarks of how I perceived you. I can't imagine finally get to the C-suite, this role that you'd been groomed to have for all these years. And in a short period of time, you face a health crisis, but coming out of it, she could have stayed with the company. But through that, you decide to take the very difficult step to leave this company that you loved and you had grown up to take this gamble of starting something new, especially after having a health issue. Yeah. So it's funny when I talk to people who want to make a career change, I say, look, it doesn't have to be a crisis. For me, it was a health crisis that pushed me in that direction, but it doesn't have to be a crisis, financial, health, relationship crisis for you to make a change. For some people, though, they need that knock on the head. And for me, (laughs) I needed that universal two by four outside the head for me to make a change. Because as you said, I was in the organization, living, breathing this organization, love the people, love the organization for so long. I was groomed for this role. And now I'm there, right? I achieve success. Now, so I'm in the role. I'm working hard. I'm doing it for the right reasons. It's hard though, right? We're still trying to make change. We had three CEOs in the last three years I was there. I'm working the 70 hour work weeks. I'm making trade-offs, all of that. But I would not have even thought to leave because it was just the predetermined path. And and here I'm sitting, I've achieved success. And so it was an interesting thing that happened in the sense that my company, Catalina, offered an executive physical. (laughs) And so I had the opportunity to do this and I had never taken advantage of it, but I was worried about my husband. My husband (laughs) was very (laughs) stressed out in in his job and I was very worried about him. And I thought, all right, how do I get him checked out? I'm gonna go ahead and finally check this 
this physical off my list, the, the physical that, you know, the executive physical that the company was bugging me to go do. And I'm going to drag my husband and we're going to find out what's wrong with him. <laughs> and so I went to the appointment that day with, with my husband and you go through a battery of tests to get baselines for the day. And then you, you know, and you check the box and you, you go home within the first hour of that visit. I knew something was wrong. So I was, I was at my first appointment and I had first doctor through and then the second doctor and then the nurses are whispering. And, and it was that moment that I got the courage, you know, finally to say something wrong. And they found two significant issues. I had a hole in my heart and a tumor in my chest. And so now at 44 years old, at this point, I learned that I have some serious things that I need to deal with. And in that moment, everything that's important to you comes to the forefront, your family and your health. And work did fade to the background. In that moment, also, I realized, because I know myself, I better start really paying attention here. I need to start paying attention to what's happening because there's a reason it's this serious. And so I started documenting, I, st- I took pictures and I started journaling and, and um, within 30 days, I was on the operating table having open heart surgery. So it was a pretty quick process to kind of diagnose and get me to surgery. During that time, like I said, I really spent time document what was going on because I knew once I got on the other side of this and I recovered and I got back to work. I'm a master at compartmentalizing. And I was just going to put all that in a little box and put it up on the shelf. And I would miss this message. I would miss this opportunity that was here for me for a reason. So I got through the surgery. I came out the other side. I recovered. And then my work to be done was really getting back to work, but then really digging into what. I needed to do different as a result of this experience where then I I could contribute in a different way and take these learnings and do something more meaningful. I got back to work uh, in February. By May, I was sitting down with my CEO saying, okay, it's time for me to wind down. I need to exit and I need to make a different decision and take what I've learned and go help more people or go contribute in a different way. When you came back after having that health scare, did you see things differently than you did before? And if so, how? Oh, yeah. My perspective was totally different. I came back willingly and all what drove me to get back into that seat was the people, the relationships, my work family, and for them getting back into that seat. And But when I got there... The challenges were still existing and the work was still hard, but my perspective was different in that it shouldn't be this hard. We've already identified what it could take for this organization to really turn it around. We know what to do, but we're just not doing it. I had a different outlook on it, which was if I'm going to spend my time knowing this message, knowing what it would take, if I'm going to spend my time building upon that, the organization that I came back to didn't want to listen and didn't really want to take those steps. And it was that going to be that hard for me to try and create that change. It it was time for me to, to go. And 
allow other people, allow other voices, allow other people to fill my shoes and have the opportunity to create that change. And that was okay. Um, that was okay for me. So my perspective was it shouldn't be this hard and I'm not willing, life is short. I'm not willing to sit here and continue to beat my head because maybe, maybe it's me and I'm not the right one to help this organization. So it was time. Get ready to supercharge your hiring experience with Indeed, our fantastic partner. We at PassionStruck are all about seeking smarter, more efficient ways to do things, and Indeed perfectly aligns with this philosophy when it comes to hiring. It's more than just a job site. It's a comprehensive platform that revolutionizes the way you find the perfect candidates. With its powerful matching engine and over 350 million global monthly visitors, Indeed streamlines the hiring process, bringing top talent straight to you. No more sifting through endless unqualified resumes. Indeed does the heavy lifting just for you. And what I love about Indeed is its ability to centralize all your hiring activities. From scheduling interviews and screening applicants to messaging candidates, it's all in one place. During my career, I've hired thousands of employees, and I only wish I had Indeed's efficiency and speed back then. And here's a fact that absolutely blows my mind. 93% of employers... According to a recent survey, saying Indeed delivers the best quality matches over other job sites. That's quality and speed hand in hand. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash PassionStruck. Just go to Indeed.com slash PassionStruck right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash PassionStruck. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember, so we put them all at passionstruck.com slash deals. Now, back to Passionstruck. And I can completely relate to that. When I left Catalina, within about 24 hours, I just felt overwhelming relief, pr- primarily because I was just beating my head mm-hmm. against a wall. So I want to take this into a little bit different direction. You got to hear an episode that I did with um, Claude Silver, who is the first chief heart officer in the world. And it's a position that her and Gary V actually came up with together. And it was a big shift for her because she was leading ad sales and just said, I just don't feel like doing advertisement anymore, but I really want to start working with the people and, and most importantly, bringing empathy into the organization. Being an organization like we were, we had a chief human resources officer. What do you think about the idea of instead of having chief people officer, that more companies have a chief heart officer? Mm -hmm. Oh, I think it's brilliant. I think it's progressive. And I think the time is now. Now is the time that people need to feel more connected, to feel cared for, to feel seen and to feel heard. The question then becomes, how do you do that? And so The discipline, the function of human resources is critical. It always has been critical. More times does not have a seat at the table. It's seen more as a necessary function as opposed to a true enabler for the organization. So even just the rebranding of chief heart officer, it sends a different message. One of then, okay, we're making an investment in our culture. We're making an investment in our leaders to give them the soft skills necessary to 
help our organization be to differentiate and continue to grow and be successful in this new world. It was interesting because on that podcast, you asked a question about what you thought Claude um, believed would be great advice for a young person coming up now and what, what should they double down on as far as their skills. And I, as you asked that question, what went through my mind, and I found it to be, was a, a very inspiring question. The statistic that says something like 70% of all jobs that will exist in the year 2030 don't exist today. Proper, right? Those job descriptions aren't written. Well, and the other side of that is due to AI, robotics, everything else, about four to 500 million jobs are going to disappear. That's right. So for a college student, their first few years out of college, you can't really, the technical skills in this ever-changing world where this is the norm now, jobs are going to go away and new jobs are going to spin up with the blink of an eye. What's going to help them sustain are the soft skills, are the EI skills and capabilities, their ability to lead with empathy, their ability to maneuver relationships, their ability to inspire excellence among their organizations and their peers. They have to connect on a level that brings out the best in someone so that they're engaged, so that they contribute the best of themselves. That's what's going to sustain leaders into the future. And and that's where the investment needs to be made. And those aren't things where we go right to developing. Those aren't things that we focus on when we think about the majority of our HR functions, right? We're worried about recruiting and we're worried about talent gaps and we're worried about capabilities for the future. But are we really thinking about the depth of the soft skills that need to be invested in. I think that's a great point. And I really think if you follow history and you look at the cyclical patterns, we're in a pattern now where basically the bottom has fallen out over the past 20, 25 years in startup growth and in new business transformation. Meaning in this ecosystem that we had in the 70s, where you had lots of new companies being formed and going away, you had a much greater churn of business vitality than what we're seeing now in the United States and across most Western cultures. And what it's causing is huge economic and social gaps. I really believe that in the future, we're going to see, and we're already seeing it now, the rise of freelancing. But if you look at where we were at the start of the Industrial Revolution, you had blacksmiths and you had tradespeople and you had this and that who were doing individual jobs. I think we're actually going to transform in that, but people are going to be mega skilled and freelancing to different companies. Company really understanding that's going to be the future and that they're going to have to lead them in a different way is absolutely critical. And I think the other thing that Claude brought up that I thought was really vital to the way she was leading is that she was meeting with every one of the 1,400 employees, a little bit more difficult to do if you've got 350,000 like lows, although you could cascade it down. 
But I like that she was not only concerned about their goals about work, but she was really talking to them about life goals. Because if you want a person really engaged, the two have to go hand in hand. Because if not, the person's eventually going to leave the company because their life goals are going to be an imbalance to the corporate goals, which I thought was another great point. And is that something you're also seeing as you're working with companies? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. The question that came up for me as you were saying that, and this is, it's a rhetorical question, but it's, it's worth pondering on this, right? What if it was more important who we are than what we do, right? That's what we're trying to get at here is understand the who. That's really what's going to sustain and motivate and engage for the long haul. Yeah, I always hate that question that you get that always comes up in a social gathering, what do you do? The better question is, who are you? Who are you? Yeah. Because I think we define so much. It's so easy to say I'm EVP of operations for Catalina, but is that really who you are? I mean, you're a, a spouse, you know, um, yeah, you've got all these different things yeah. that play into it. Your work persona should only be a small portion of who you are as, as a human, especially if you want to be your best self and live intentionally around your core values, because that's how we should all be living aspirationally. Your whole self live as your one beautiful whole self. I mentioned when I told a little bit about my story, I mentioned to you that I was a master at compartmentalization and putting things in a box. And for years, when you get the kids ready in the morning and you're rushing out the door and you're heading, as soon as you walk into the office, you package all that up and leave it at the door and you walk in and it's like, okay, I have a job to do. I have things that need to get done. And I have a certain persona that does not, that's not sustainable. That doesn't work because what that compartmentalization does, you think it's adaptability, but really it's lack of authenticity. And ultimately it leads to the detriment of your fulfillment. When we talk about who, who are you, it is about learning a little bit more about that whole person um, because we shouldn't be encouraging and enabling people to leave part of themselves at the door. We should be embracing all parts of that person so that they can be authentic, adaptable, and ultimately fulfilled. And that to me is the message that's a very important message. And when I talk about leading with heart and leaving a legacy, the crux of it, it comes down to that. It comes down to who are you and how do you add meaning, live in a space of meaningful work, but in a fulfilled way, because that's, if you are at your best, the company is going to get the best results. I would say I was an expert at doing what you're saying as well, because it's so easy to say, I'm just going to deal with this another day, or I just don't have time for this, especially in a world where more and more people are suffering from trauma of one type or another. That's exactly what I did. I think more people than want to admit have that going on in their life. And when you have that instability, because you haven't dealt with these stuck points when they could be, am I giving my family enough time? Am I giving my spouse enough time? Am I giving myself enough time outside of these other things? It has a cascading impact on your whole being. And I think that's what's leading so many people right now to have so much apathy, helplessness, 
along with the depression and anxiety duality that we're seeing just cascade right now across all social economic levels. We're nearing the end of this interview, and I know um, you've got a great test that you have on your, your website that I wanted to make sure that the listeners were aware of so they can take like a heart test, right? Yes, yes. It is a heart leader assessment. And so if you pop on to my website, trishamanning.com, you will have the opportunity to take the heart leader assessment. And so you can score yourself and see where you fall as it relates to an intentional heartfelt leader, or you, are there things that you're doing that maybe represent more passive leadership? <laughs> and so you'll score yourself and then get some tips and tricks on how to move in the direction of being a more connected, heartfelt, intentional leader. And so if anyone who's listening wants to jump onto my website and take that heart leader assessment, and if they mention the podcast and contact me, I would be happy to um, mail a signed copy of my book, Lead with Heart and Leave a Legacy. I think it's a great idea to have a, a tool like that. As people come to you, I think it gives you also a starting point to understand if you're going to work with that person where they're starting out on this heart scale. So yeah. I think it's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Tricia, in addition to your website, what are some other ways if people want to connect with you that they can? So I am on all the platforms with the exception, I would say, of Twitter. I haven't, I'm on Twitter, but I haven't quite figured that one out. <laughs> it feels like it takes a lot of time to be on Twitter. I don't know if you figured that one out, but maybe we can talk after. <laughs> but I'm on Instagram. So Trisha underscore white cap coaching is the name of my business. Also LinkedIn. I post quite a bit on LinkedIn, a lot of articles and resources. And then I'm on Facebook as well, but you can find all that on my website as well. If you want to dig a little deeper on me. Okay. And of course I'll have all this in the show notes and I'll have a great picture of your book with uh, a link to where they can get it as well. So a must read. Yes. And I'll also put that other book, The Advantage, in the show notes as well, because I, I've read that years ago, and I always love every one of his books. Yeah, so it's a good, it's a timely and easy and, and really great read for readers. For readers. Well, I always end these things with a, a round of quick questions. I know one of the things we both have historically enjoyed is going to small breweries. So <laughs> what is your favorite type of beer? Mm, I really love the dark beers, but they're not very nice on my waistline. So um, when I'm trying to watch my weight, I go more for the light beer. <laughs> kind of boring, I know, but. I was talking to a local uh, brewery owner, the biggest brewery owner in, in town, and I love porters and stouts myself, mm -hmm. but he was telling me that they only make up about three to 5% of the whole brewery market based on sales. So that's why he agreed that he, he thought they were great, but that's why they don't make more of them. But yeah, what we had a great. The, what's the highest percent? What's the highest percent? Did, did he say? I would have thought with all these microbreweries coming about, it would have shifted, but Bud Light by far in a way is still the most popular beer in America. And so he said, if you're going to be successful as a brewer, then you need to have a very approachable mass appeal beer that anyone can drink and think it's yeah. like a Bud Light. That's you, right. <laughs> Don't worry as much about your waistline. I, I'm yes. tracking. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I think I'm going to love the answer to this question. One of my favorite questions I've been asking is if you got to host the Late Late Show and you got to do car karaoke, who would you want to have as the guest with you? Oh, car karaoke. Uh, For sure right now, it would be Adele. Is that that the right answer, right? Or is that you're talking about an artist, right? No, no. Um, Adele is great. Yeah. She has a new album out. And there's a whole bunch of controversy about her canceling her latest tour. I don't know if you've seen that. But but anyway, I'm not a great singer, but I crank that Adele up and no one can hear how bad I am. Okay. (laughs) If you're an aspiring author, what would be the biggest lesson that you learned from writing your own book? Mm, Great question. The biggest lesson. So I would, there is a strategy that I learned probably halfway through writing my book that I wish I would have learned earlier. And and it's the strategy of blog to book. And so if you are an aspiring author, I would highly recommend that you start blogging. So take it in bite-sized pieces and just start writing articles or blogs with whatever content, you know, is on your mind, because all of that can be brought together then to really form your book structure uh, at a later date. I think that's a great point. The other thing that I used it for was to test ideas for my upcoming book, because I didn't know how things were going to resonate. So things that didn't resonate when I put them out, I actually went back and either tweaked them or got rid of them altogether. And then things sometimes I didn't expect would resonate at all, got the most downloads. So I think from that standpoint, it helps you figure out the popularity of your content as well. Yes, great. So the last question I would ask, another one of my favorites is if you got to be an astronaut and got to go to a new planet, what would be a law, premise, guideline, if you were given the chance that you would put in place? Ooh, that's a good one. What immediately came to mind is crazy as the sounds of self-care. <laughs> so I think our world is always on, everything's urgent 24-7. We're on this hamster wheel that is really hard for people to get off. And we put ourselves at the bottom of the list always. And um, this past summer, one of the things that I put out to the world with my following was this idea of 45 kind. And so it's similar to the idea. Have you heard of 75 hard? Yes. Right. Okay. So the idea was 45 kind. So what if for 45 days, you could be kind to yourself, one act of kindness or self-compassion toward yourself for 45 days, how might that change how you're living your life, your mental state, how you show up with your family, And so it literally takes forcing my clients to make self-care a priority and they're all the better for it. If they can create it, build it into their um, world as a habit or a practice. And so if I were to build a new community planet, that would be a requirement is time for self-care so that we really can make sure that we're taking care of ourselves so we could take care of others. I think those are all great. Well, Trisha, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast and sharing all that incredible information. Thank you, John, for having me. I appreciate it so much.
What a great interview that was with Trisha Manning. And I wanted to highlight one of the other episodes that I brought up during the podcast. That was my interview with Claude Silver, which was episode 101. She's the chief heart officer for VaynerX. And it's a great episode you definitely want to check out. We also have some other incredible interviews that are coming your way, including top podcast host, Kathy Heller, as well as Dr. Katie Milkman, who wrote the book, How to Change, and is one of the foremost behavioral scientists in the entire world. Dr. Sarah Fay, who wrote the book, Pathological, about her experiences overcoming six misdiagnoses, and she does this in such an eloquent way in that book. We also have coming up Dr. Scott Shear, who talks about HBOT therapy and how you can use HBOT to completely enhance your career. We also are doing the book launch for Michael Seligman, on June 7th, and he is one of the foremost experts in the world around the science of secrets. So many great guests and content for you to consume. And if you are new to the show or you would just like to introduce it to a friend or family member, we now have episode starter packs, both on Spotify and on the Passion Struck website. These are collections of your favorite episodes we organize into different topics, such as overcoming adversity, how to live intentionally, entrepreneurship, relationships, and so much more. Please go to passionstruck.com slash starter packs to get started. And if there's a guest whom you'd like to see me interview or a topic you want me to cover on our Momentum Friday episodes, please reach out to us an email at momentumfriday at passionstruck.com. Or you can hit us up either on LinkedIn at John R. Miles or on Instagram at John R. Miles. Now go out there yourself and become passionstruck. Thank you so much for joining us. The purpose of our show is to make passion go viral. And we do that by sharing with you the knowledge and skills that you need to unlock your hidden potential. If you want to hear more, please subscribe to the Passion Struck podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts at. And if you absolutely love this episode, we'd appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes and you sharing it with three of your most growth-minded friends so they can post it as well to their social accounts and help us grow our Passion Struck community. If you'd like to learn more about the show and our mission, you can go to passionstruck.com where you can sign up for our, our newsletter, look at our tools, and also download the show notes for today's episode. Additionally, you can listen to us every Tuesday and Friday for even more inspiring content. And remember, make a choice, work hard, and step into your sharp edges. Thank you again for joining us.